Jesus is the God of the universe. One of my favorite things about watching Jesus's life and reading through the gospel is the way he time and time again, he just owns the Pharisees. They set him up. They think they're so smart and he's always one or two steps ahead of them. But as we read through this passage, I have a few questions. First, how did they catch her in the act? Like if it says that they caught her in the act of adultery, how in the world would they catch her in the act of adultery unless it's a setup? See, these, these men, these men had no problem destroying somebody else's life. Sure, she was a sinner, but they wanted to put it on display. And so they set her up. They set her up, and now all of a sudden, she's answering for their setup. My second question, where's the guy? She's owning and being responsible for the sin, but there's no, no account that they brought the man. There's no account that they brought him before Jesus and, and held him accountable for the sin that he also committed. But this woman, put yourself in her shoes. She's caught in the act of adultery. How humiliating. She's, she's feeling all the guilt and all the shame she was, she was brought out from that moment. They didn't tell her, hey, go home, get dressed, put yourself together. So I don't even know, is she wrapped in like a sheet? Did she have time to get dressed before they, they brought her out? She's standing in a circle of men with them accusing her of something horrid. And all she's feeling is the weight of her guilt and her shame. And they aren't helping. They're just heaping more and more and more on her. And their goal in this moment without a trial, their goal is to, to stone her to death. And we look at that and we're like, well, adultery doesn't, doesn't live up to, to being killed for it. Like we don't, we don't have capital punishment for adultery in our culture, but by the letter of the law, they're, they're actually right. That might be shocking to you, but by, by, by what God's word says in the Old Testament, they're actually right. Deuteronomy 22, 22 says, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. Where's the man, by the way? Still, still no man. Um, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. And, and I'm not going to lie. This is a hard truth, right? We look at that and we're like, man, why would God include death for someone who, who commits adultery? Why would, why would God take it that far? But you have to understand, and I want you to understand from an early age, that God takes marriage seriously. He always has. And as he sets up his people group, and as he, he passes down his law, he wants you and I to know his expectations for marriage. His expectations for marriage are that it will be one man and one woman for life. Anything else besides that is outside of the bounds of what he created marriage to be. And so he, he, he enacts harsh punishment. But Jesus is going to do something revolutionary. See, they, they try to put him in a corner. 
If Jesus lets her go, then they're going to accuse him of not holding to God's word. Right? Oh, you don't even know what it says in Deuteronomy. And not only do you not even know, you don't even follow. And so, so you see that this is, that's the, the first set of the lose, lose situation. But the second is that if Jesus allows them to kill her, then the crowd's going to see him as harsh and punitive. And so they, they, they back him into a corner. And their hope is that they'll catch Jesus in something that he can't handle, but he's Jesus. And in John 8, Verse six, this is Jesus's now response. It says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. The text doesn't tell us, I wish I was there. It doesn't tell us what he wrote. Uh, Maybe it's the words of the, the names of all the women that they had committed adultery with. Maybe, maybe it was, was all their sins. Maybe, maybe, I I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the guy who was conveniently missing from this interaction. But it doesn't matter what they wrote or what he wrote. But regardless of what specifically he wrote, it took the attention off of the woman. And all of a sudden, these men were confronted with the fact that they too are sinners. That this woman is not unique. That she is a sinner just like everyone else. And then in verses 7 and 8, they're going to press him. This is an, and they continued to ask him. He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. We've heard that before, right? That's a familiar statement from Jesus. Let anyone who's without sin cast the first stone. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. He continues to respond to them. And now whatever he writes the second time, the the response was now undeniable. Verse 9. But then they heard it. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So so as he's writing on the ground, starting with the older and, and all the way to the younger, and I think that's purposeful. They start to, to just leave. They walk away. They drop their stones and they walk away. And I think the reason why you start to see the older men walk away first is because they have a little bit more self-awareness. They have a little bit more wisdom. They have a little bit more life experience. And all of a sudden, one by one, they start to walk away. And so Jesus, in verse 10, he, he stood up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. And so he looks at her and he says, does no one condemn you? There's no one else here. And the very one who could condemn her, the very one who lived a perfect life, the only one who is righteous in this world says, neither do I condemn you. I want you to hear those words. Because I think sometimes in our sin, we walk around carrying the weight, the baggage of our guilt and our shame. And yet Jesus says that in him, there is no condemnation. Hear that. In him, there is no condemnation. That doesn't mean there's no judgment. There's just no condemnation in Jesus. And then he looks at her and he says, after he offers her grace, he says, go and sin no more. That's our response. When we receive grace from Jesus, our goal is to go and sin no more. He calls us to that. 
And in this moment, we, we see the grace of God on display. And he says, go and sin no more. He uses a word sin. Let's talk about that word. Because I think our culture has watered down the word sin. We don't use it very often anymore. Outside of the church, we never use it. You know what we use instead? Mistake. Oh, I made a mistake. A mistake means you wronged yourself. It means that the, 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 the root um, cause was yourself and the person you wronged was yourself. But sin, sin brings somebody else into that equation. It brings God into that, that equation. So sin is when you wrong others and when you wrong God, but mistakes just affect you. And so now we have a culture that just continues to say, sorry, I made a mistake. I messed up. But I think sin carries a, a lot more weight. So what is sin? It's an archery term. Have you guys done archery yet? Done, anybody? Done archery? Yeah. So it's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. <laughs> One time uh, I was up at a, a different camp that I'm not allowed to say the name of. Uh, and uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was up at Hume Lake and, and my wife and I were at a marriage retreat. And they have an archery range. Uh, I'm sure it's similar to here. And, uh, and I, I was, I, it was my turn. I stepped up. My wife was behind me. And I drew my bow back. And I shot the arrow. And it hit a metal post at the bottom. I didn't even hit the target. Metal post at the bottom of like just above the ground on the, the thing that held the target. And the arrow bounced straight back. Not at me. At my wife. I almost killed my wife at marriage retreat. Like, it's crazy. Like, I literally, I swear to you, it almost went right through her head. It was awful. So it bounces straight back, and she has to, like, jump out of the way. I am not making that up. And, and so I, I missed the mark. Uh, my wife would say I sinned in that moment. Uh, but there are two types of sins, two types of sins. There's the sin of commission which means it's a sin that you are doing, actively doing, a sin of commission. It's, uh, it's the, the type of sin that you do when you know you ought to not do it, but you do it anyway. It's those sins that you think are private, but they're not, because God sees everything. And then there are sins of omission. It's when you know what's right, but you choose to not do it anyway. Maybe simpler definition than that is it's, it's anytime you're doing life alone, apart from God. Anytime you look at his word and choose to do something different. Anytime you lean on your flesh instead of his spirit. Romans 8, verses 5 through 8, Paul's going to write about this idea of flesh and sin. He says, for those who are according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things, uh, the things of the spirit for the mindset in the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset in the flesh is hostile towards God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I want you to ask the question, are you operating in the flesh? Do you live your life more in the flesh or more in the spirit? Because the Bible says that if you've 
never trusted in Jesus, then you are living in the flesh. But also if you have trusted in Jesus, it's possible for you to be living more often in the flesh than in the spirit. And this passage, Paul writes, and he says, it's impossible to please God in the flesh. You, nothing you do can please God. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to hear that. It is, there is no way you can please God. Apart from Jesus, there is no pleasing God. Living life in the spirit through Jesus Christ is the only way. Which means if you're here without a relationship with Jesus, you're walking around in opposition to God all the time. All the time. And I don't say that to judge you. I say that because it's truth. And I say that to love you. So you realize the need for Jesus. I want you to know the truth. And in some ways, it's not your fault. I'll let you off the hook a little bit. Because in some ways, it's not your fault. You know, when, when COVID hit, we, we became somewhat familiar with the term epidemiology. Does anybody know what that is? No? Okay. Uh, Somebody back there. Epidemiology. So uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, which, yeah, okay. So some of us hate him uh, and we need to pray for him. But epidemiology is, um, is the study of how diseases spread. So uh, Dr. Fauci is an epidemiologist and he studied how COVID began and spread. And what they do is they, they trace diseases back to patient zero, you know, patient zero is the first person who had the disease. So they do all the work. They they've got like those yarn strings in their office tracing to countries and people and and all that stuff. And they trace things all the way back to the origin of the disease. Well, we can do the same thing with sin. We can trace it all the way back to the origin of sin. And everyone who follows after that origin has contracted the disease of sin through somebody else, through Adam and Eve. See, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have been walking with God in the garden. I don't know for how long, but they've been walking with him and they've been knowing him. And, and God gives them everything they could have ever wanted. He, he literally says, you can eat of any tree in the entire garden, but you can't eat of this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. One tree. They had the entire garden to themselves. There was no death. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no sickness. There was nothing except for everything that they could have ever hoped or imagined. And yet Adam and Eve in their sin and their desire to be like God through the temptation of Satan, they do the one thing that God told them not to and rebellion leads them to sin. And so we can trace sin all the way back to Genesis 3. And the Bible tells us that because of Adam and Eve's sin, just like how diseases pass from one person to another, sin also has done that. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We see that that's, that's the sinner by deed. We sin by deed because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. We have a sin, we, we, we have that, 
that rebellion inside all of us. Romans 7, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. This is Paul after his conversion. He, he knows Jesus, and he says the, the doing of the, 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 the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. There's, there's this, this sin inside all of us. Psalm 51.5 talks about our sin nature. He says, behold, David writes, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We have a sin nature, you and me. We have a, we have a, a, a preconceived um, propensity to sin in all of us. We see that in our kids, right? They, their brains aren't formed. They're not, they're not actively looking at the Bible and going, I'm going to do what God doesn't want me to do. It's hardwired in them. And for us, it's hard, hardwired in us. That's why we naturally gravitate towards sin. Have you ever noticed that? We naturally gravitate towards sin. And then we look at our sin and we start to justify it. We say things like, yeah, I'm not that bad of a person though. Like I might be a sinner, but I'm mostly I'm a good person. Mostly I live my life in a good way. I do good things for people. I'm obedient. I do all the things my parents asked me to do. I'm, a, I'm an A student. I'm a really good teammate. This is what Isaiah says about that. Isaiah 64, 6, for all of us. You know, when the Bible says all, it's an interesting translation. Uh, it means all. <laughs> you get that? It means all. So, so he's saying, for all of us, you, me, everyone, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. The term filthy garment is a translation of a feminine product. He says, we're all that dirty. We're all that unclean. That the, the closest semblance of, of who we are is a used feminine product. I know that's gross. I get it. No, no guy wants to think about that. Most girls don't even want to think about that. But, but, but he's, he's writing and he wants to drive home how unclean we are. That's the closest thing you resemble. That's the closest thing I resemble is this filthy garment. But it goes further than that. It's not just about how unclean we are. It's about what we deserve. Ephesians 2 one through three, Paul writes this. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the son, uh, sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. You guys, if you're only in sin, if, if all you have is this, this air of filthy garments and, and you don't have anything else, then, then what you need to see is that you are dead in your sin. It's not that you're limping. It's not that you're struggling through life. It's that you are dead. There is no spiritual life in you. See, God wanted to get your attention right there. There's no spiritual life in you. 
No matter, no matter how good life is or how bad life is, we are all dead in our sin and sin impacts all of us. Romans 3, 10 and 11, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. The same thing with all uh, is the same thing with none. It literally means none. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. If, if you are here and you're like, I'm a good person. When I get, when I get stand before God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just simply tell him I lived a good life and he's going to let me into heaven. You're, you're wrong. No amount of good deeds can get you into heaven. We're all like filthy garments. There's none righteous. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks for God. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And my hope is that maybe this helps you understand why you struggle. Maybe this helps you understand why that sin that keeps coming around keeps coming around. Why you keep finding yourself, despite the fact that you keep telling yourself you're not going to do it anymore. Why you keep finding yourself being overcome by the sins that, that, that keep grabbing hold of you. It's the human condition. It's how we were born. But it doesn't mean it's okay. So what does sin look like today? For the high school guy or the high school girl that's sitting in this room, it looks like distorting the truth about sexuality. It looks like looking at God's word and realizing that God made us male and female, that he chose our gender when he knit us together in our mother's womb. That there is no, I feel like a man, and so I am, or I feel like a woman, and so I am. That, that there is only, God made me this way. It looks like looking at God's word and realizing that he created marriage to be one man and one woman for life and going, you know what, I just don't think that's right, God. I, I, I know that's what your word says, but, but I think love is love, and it has to be whatever I think is right. And that's why we spent the first three messages talking about where truth starts, where it's defined. It looks like pride. It looks like bullying. When you walk around school and you think you're better than everybody else, you're the star athlete on the team and you don't spend time helping others get better. You just spend time ridiculing those who aren't as good as you. It looks like pride in, in your home. You're unwilling to, to realize that you're not as good as you think you are. It looks like telling lies, being dishonest. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. But Jesus is truth. It looks like addiction. Now, addiction is a disease. But ongoing addiction without trying to get help 
is caused by relying on a substance instead of God. It looks like what you do on the internet. Pornography is rampant everywhere. I want you guys to know pornography is a sin. You have to hear that. It's not private. It it has consequences. And for you, it has consequences that you won't even know until you get married someday. And your wife or your husband has to carry the burden of the images that you've burned inside of your head for years and years and years. Pornography is not for you. It steals from you. And you don't know it yet because you're not married. But one day, you're going to have to deal with the fact that years upon years upon years, you've been given unhealthy, unrealistic expectations of what a a sexual relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, what, what it looks like. And your marriage will pay the price. It's not good for you. We don't let our kids, um, I have a 13-year-old, we don't let her have a phone with internet. And you may think, man, that's crazy. You are strict, right? No. The number one place bullying happens is on the internet. Cyberbullying is the leading cause of suicide amongst high school girls in the United States. What you do on the internet behind the screen of a computer where you feel safe because you can say or do whatever you want and nobody can see it. What you do on the internet, it matters. How you treat that, how you look, how you appear, how you represent Jesus online matters. And all of these sins, they start in the heart. There's a rebellion that creeps up in the heart. So what's the consequence of sin? There's physical death. We see that with Adam and we see it carried down the line. God said there's two trees and and, and uh, Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're kicked out of the garden and death comes in. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There's also physical brokenness. I saw a lot on the cards. Uh, my, my nine-year-old Kenzie, who I just told you about, she was diagnosed in January with cancer. And, and we've been walking through that, and she's going to be just fine. She's, she's making a recovery. Uh, her cancer is 99.8% treatable, and, and the tumor is going away. But, but I saw on the cards that you guys submitted so much pain and brokenness because of, because of illness and death and disease, because of, of parents that, don't, don't, that didn't stick around, because of other people's sin. And I want you to know that this is where all that comes from. It's not God creating that. It's sin creating that in your life. The fall of man ushered in all of that. Death and disease and destruction. Pride. Infidelity. Absence. All of that is a result of the fall of man and sin. So if you're wondering how a good God could allow that to happen, it wasn't his design. It's not what he wants for you. But it's the consequences of sin. So physical death and physical brokenness, but maybe, maybe greatest of all is spiritual death, the separation from God. Habakkuk 1, 13. 
says, your eyes are too pure to approve evil and evil, and you can not look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the, those more righteous than they? God cannot be around sin. He cannot accept sin. And so when we sin, we distance ourselves from the God of the universe. And we look at that and some of you are like, okay, I know. I've heard this before. But we try, we try to deal with sin on our own behalf. We do it by two, two different ways. The first is we move towards um, a do what we don't want to do mindset. And, and what that means is we just, we just do it and we live life autonomously from God, without God. And so what happens is we take God off the throne and we start worshiping the other things. We walk away from the thing we know is true, that God is the, the God of the universe, and we walk away. And we start living life as if God isn't there. We start worshiping anything and everything, anyone and everything. We, we have celebrity worship. We have, uh, we have boyfriend or girlfriend worship. We have, we, have, we have media worship. All of a sudden, Disney becomes our God. We worship sports or athletes. That's how we cope with it. Or we, we, we start to convince ourselves that we need to do what we should do. It's moralism. It's striving to be good on your own will. It, it's the idea that, that we, we on our own, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, we can cover our own guilt and our own shame. We can, we can hide our guilt. We can, we, can, we can hide from God. And, and I want you to know none of this will deal with the root issues of sin. None of it is adequate to address your sin. So as we go back to John, and as we get ready to conclude this morning, John chapter 9, starting in verse 35, Jesus is going to encounter this man who's born blind. And in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world. So that those who do not see may see and those who, who uh, see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. And what Jesus is saying is, is what first John says. He says, those who pretend that they're without sin, they lie and they deceive themselves. And the truth is not in them. And my hope this morning is as we wrap up that you are face to face with your sin, not somebody else's sin, not, not sitting next to somebody going, I hope they're hearing this message, your sin, face to face, that you're realizing and you're asking the question, what does it look like for me to, to be confronted by my sin this week up at Heartland Christian Camps? And the question is, do you acknowledge your sin? Do you realize the ways that you're wronging God and the ways that you're wronging others? What is your sin? 
And how have you been trying to deal with it? Have you been trying to, to just stop? Have you been trying to be a better person? Have you been trying to, have you just walked away from God because your sin is too great? Tonight, we're going we're gonna to talk about how God addresses sin. The only way that you and I can address sin. But until then, I want you to spend today thinking about the weight of your sin because we cannot possibly understand the heights of God's grace until we understand the depths of our own depravity. Let's pray. Father, we are sinners. At our core, that's who we are. Now, Lord, that may or may not be our identity, but Lord, we all have a sin nature. We're all, we're all ruled by the flesh. We all gravitate towards that. And so Lord, as we sit in our sin, as we think about all the ways that we have not, that we've missed the mark, that we have not added up to the standard that you've set before us, Lord, bring us to a place of understanding of the depths of our sin, the need that we have. Lord, as we understand that need, I pray tonight that you would, out of that need, that you would birth so much grace. In Jesus' name, amen.